here we are. Here we are. Here we are. What are we talking about today? I was going to ask you that. (laughs) It's perfect. I know last time we went into a tangent of the failure thing, and I think we meant to talk more about stuff you're doing. Sure. And I think that's what we didn't get to. I think that's where we were going to go with that. When do we not get into a tangent? Like, does it matter where we start? That's the question. That's the beauty of a good podcast, though, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I got it. I got to tell you this. The podcast may have started. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go ahead and start it and say. And and welcome. Title them. They they title themselves after like the best episodes title themselves afterward. You get it. So, dear listener, it's not that we're not going anyplace. It's we just don't know yet. (laughs) We don't because we're enjoying the journey. We don't care about the destination. It's about well, the journey. Why don't we talk about that then? Why don't we talk about the things that you can control and the things that you can't control in sales and how you have to know and mind the difference so that you can keep your swagger? Oh, okay. Hold that thought because I don't, because I'll forget it. I think the show, yeah, exactly. Grab it, grab it, <laughs> grab it. For those watching on YouTube, you see him grabbing it. What he's grabbing? Oh, you're gonna have to watch it on YouTube to see what don't he's grabbing. Take that, don't take that clip out of context, folks. Let's get this a family show. Come on now. Oh, I think the show already started, but just in case, welcome to the women your mother warned you about. Brought to you by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco with my fabulous occasional co-host slash guest. You're like the fractional, I mean, you're like the fractional co-host. I'm Can a I fractional co-host. I'm yeah. going to put that on my LinkedIn profile. Fractional <laughs> co-host. Dare you. So I will put it on my LinkedIn profile. You have a logo, right? So I'll, yeah. I'll put it on my LinkedIn profile. Do it. And Do it. I will. I dare um, you. Oh, that, yeah, oh, yeah. Tough chore. Okay. So dare I will do you. that. It will notify my network that I've started a new position. Yeah. And I will get all kinds of automated messages from bots that are saying, congratulations. I'm like, wow. <laughs> you ever, so you start a new role you and you you put something out there and then all of a sudden you get the the congratulations messages from people. And then you look and the only times you've ever interacted with these people are when they congratulate you or wish you happy birthday or something like that. Yeah. It's like, what are we even doing here? Right. Like, yeah. OK. I, I forgot to say, um, it's Jeff Bajoric, you guys. I oh, mean, yes. I know oh, I... you know who it is. <laughs> I dare you to put this on LinkedIn, the fraction. Tomorrow. Podcast co-host Jeff Bajoric back, back in action. And uh, we talk about the journey. I, talking about the whole LinkedIn stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, don't get jelly about this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you promise not to get jelly? No, I, don't, I make no promises. So I started my day with a podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'm ending my day with a podcast. Okay. And I started my day with a really good looking guest, male guest, podcast guest. And I'm ending my day with a really good looking Oh, man. <laughs> podcast oh, guest. Wow. But, you said this to me earlier this morning. This is just really weird. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I kid. Who, who are you talking to this morning? Are you allowed this to This morning, this morning, I was talking to Ryan Serhant. Who he is, a lot of people know him for being on Million Dollar Listing New York on the reality show for selling real estate. And he's written a couple books. So he's got a celebrity status to him in the real Mm -hmm. estate world, but in general, because he's on a reality show 
since 2011. He's been on that show. So really, it was a really interesting interview because he talked about the entire journey. Well, a couple interesting things because he's he's a sales expert and he's brilliant at what he does and he's built this amazing company. And another example of sales is like, hmm, what am I going to talk to him about? His publicist gave me this whole list of things to talk about. And I'm like, I'm just going to take him back to the day he started in real estate, which was 2008 when everything was crashing. Mm, yeah, Like literally time. like Lehman Brothers, like literally crashed the next day. Mm-hmm. And um, I had him walk me through that entire process. And like, I didn't have to ask a lot of questions. I just, the podcast just ran. It just ran itself. <laughs> and by the time you know it, like the things that we were supposed to get to, we never got to. And I'm like, I got to go. Could and you come back? And it's and it's podcast gold though. Like let's be yeah. let's be real. Funny story. I actually walked right in front of the Lehman Brothers offices in New York City. Mm-hmm. Like the week, but the people were picketing. I was with three other friends. We were in town to see baseball games at the old Yankee Stadium and Old Shea Stadium before they closed down. And none of us had any idea what was going on. Like what? Why are yeah. all these? What? Huh? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how just naive we were at the time. And um, then, then like two weeks later, we we're all like. Oh, that, oh, that was what, what's, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, it was kind of nuts. Yeah. So it made it made for an exciting day for me today to have both of you spending time with both of you today. As long as you can end your day on a high note, Gina, then I'm a happy guy. Here we go. Here we go. So let's. <laughs> How much more time do you want to waste? <laughs> the show's started, I think. Okay. You said something really great before you started grabbing it Um, about. <laughs> The journey. It's a funny and, thing. I, I actually managed to grab it and hold on to it. It's I right know. Here. You did. You did. Okay. Keep holding it. Um, what? <laughs> I'm so happy I put these on YouTube now for people oh, to watch. Oh, this is going to be a great screenshot when I post this do I, image. Do, do I have to hold my hand up the entire episode? Like, that might be a chore. <laughs> yeah, that, that's going to be really weird. Let it go. It's, yeah. Especially since you already got one bad arm going. I don't want to. I, do. I don't want to create another bad arm. So. So journey, what what you can control in the journey yeah. of the sales process, mm-hmm. what can you control? Your reaction to the things that happen to you. Yeah. Reason to choice. I study a little bit of stoicism and um, my wife likes to give me hell about it because it frustrates her sometimes that I won't get emotional for certain things. Because mm. um, sometimes it's like, would you just, would you quit playing it so cool and just like, because and I'm stuttering now, but when you when you always have a measured, reasoned kind of way about you, it can be frustrating for other people and can invalidate their own emotions, which is not always something you want to do. Um, but I've always found it fascinating that selling is something that requires a tremendous amount of emotional transfer. That I I call that group of emotions tension, and without any tension, there's no sale. So no tension, no sale, get emotional, stir up emotions in your prospects. Selling is a transfer of enthusiasm. So you need to bring a certain level of enthusiasm with you, but don't get so caught up in your own success or failure because Mm -hmm. behind every victory, there is a loss and behind every loss, there is going to be another victory. And if you do not find a way to maintain an even keel throughout it, you Mm -hmm. will burn out quicker than you can possibly imagine. And so the paradox of I need to be emotionally engaged, but at the same time, I need to disengage from the outcome 
It is a tougher skill to master than most people even think of, and most people don't even think of it. And and that's um, that's always fascinating to explore. So tell me more about stoicism. 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 Stoist. Sto- yeah, that. Wow, I don't really even know how to define it, except I understand. Like when you're stoic, you're just kind of like. Yeah, and even kill like stoic. It gets when when people say that. Well, he's he's so stoic about that. Like he took it and didn't even flinch. It's a lot of times that gets, um, or she took it and didn't even flinch. Right? Like it's it's one of those things that gets commonly referred to as detachment or denial. Right? And stoicism is not denying the fact that emotions are present. It's choosing not to engage in those emotions. And so a lot of people talk about, um, oh, a man's search for meaning. Viktor Frankl wrote A Man's Search for Mm -hmm. Meaning. And he gets credited with the quote, rightly so, of between anything happening and your response is a moment in time. Mm -hmm. And in that moment in time, and I'm butchering the quote, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that moment in time, you get to choose how to respond. That is stoicism. Right. And it goes, it's ancient wisdom. It goes back to the Romans and the Greeks and a bunch of names that are complicated and difficult to pronounce. But um, several years ago, I read a book by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. And then after The Obstacle is the Way was finished, I read Ego is the Enemy. And then after that, I think it's four or five years ago now, he produced a, a, a third book called Stillness is the Key. And that trilogy, if you will. I actually buy them together in um, in a box set. And I give those away as graduation gifts now when my cousins and friends mm. and stuff like that graduate high school. I used to give um, All the Places You'll Go, the Dr. Seuss book. And um, this I found to be much more profound, much more college level reading, um, but with way more, way more timeless wisdom to it. And the obstacle in the way basically, the obstacle is the way basically suggests that in every obstacle, there is an opportunity. And if you are measured enough and unemotional enough to look for the way through, you will find it and you will Mm -hmm. appreciate the lesson for what it is that you need to learn. Um, Ego is the enemy presents the idea that you are often the obstacle (laughs) and stillness is the key is, um, is really just about it's not just about meditation. It's just recognizing that you have to have these bouts and this the balance of these bouts between stillness and emotion. There is a time to be very, very active. There is also a time to contemplate, to think. If you don't know what you're going to do next, it's really foolish to just start doing things. And in a profession where we are biased toward action, um, in a society where we are encouraged to be as busy as possible, it's more and more difficult to remember that we need to take time to reflect. We need to take time to think. We need to take time to write. We need to take time to communicate. We need to just be present and mindful of everything around us. And what I was thinking about earlier today, actually, was the fact that thousands of years ago, like a couple thousand years ago, people were writing and thinking and talking about how important it is to not get caught up in being so busy. (laughs) right? Like this is not a 21st century phenomenon because of social media. Social media is the thing of the day that is distracting us, but it was something else in ancient Rome. It was something else in ancient Greece. Um, It's timeless ancient wisdom for a reason. And 
I've overstayed my welcome with talking. It's your turn now, Gina. No, I'm, I'm, you could do all the work. I have, I have no problem with that. Um, the obstacle is the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is like, okay, this is such a nerd moment. Okay. Cause I can't believe I'm going to call myself a nerd because I wasn't one before I got married. Um, I'm just thinking of, of the Mandalorian. This is uh-huh. the way. Very much. <laughs> <laughs> very much and, as yoda as yoda sits behind you yeah i mean and that's but there's a lot of um stoic tradition in that show mm-hmm. and, and a lot yeah. of integrity in that show and that's one of the that's one of the yeah. reasons i think it resonates with so many people and i'm i am star wars nerd adjacent i'm not a star wars nerd um i i people because i have grogu and yoda behind me in lego people are like oh are you like a huge lego guy i'm like no. Like, are you a huge Star Wars guy? I'm like, no. Yeah. I just like them both enough for those to be my pandemic projects to occupy my hands for a couple <laughs> hours, right? Um, but one of the reasons that Star Wars has such a following is because of not just because of the hero's journey, but because of the values in each side of the force. And it really in in mm. very um in in very explicit terms why mm. people are acting the way they are, because it's very much their relative integrity and and there's a lot of integrity displayed by the different factions of those yeah i don't want to call them people those beings yeah. in in the characters in those shows and the mandalorian is very much like that it's like wow you this guy has so much integrity and the stories get interesting when that integrity is yeah. challenged yeah yeah which which really is the hero's journey very right much. which is really the hero's journey and when i'm teaching selling with stories, Mm -hmm. right? I use the traditional hero's journey story arc to do that, which brings Mm -hmm. us back to the weaving the emotion into every journey, right? Being able to tell a story to your customer that they can relate to, but every story has a handful of the same elements that, you know, are usually emotionally based, right? Well, you Mm -hmm. look at everything was going fine and then (laughs) something happened, that changed everything. Mm-hmm. And and that's our job as doing what we do is to bring the customer through that journey. We don't really have control so much over their journey, but I believe we can guide them through the journey. And in order to guide them, they need to see themselves in the journey. And I don't think the arc of the hero's journey is as important as making sure your prospect knows they're the hero. The arc is like, I think it's like seven different stages to the hero's journey. And I've got Joseph Campbell on the bookshelf yeah. behind me and, and it, it's his work that uh, identified that. I don't remember the names of those specific stages. I mean, there's the inciting event and then there's denial and there's the guide appears and, and whatever. I think too many salespeople get caught up in trying to make sure they match the various stages and do I have a compelling arc? Whatever. It's like, you know what's most important? Because the story will take care of itself as long as the person you're talking to sees themselves in a story. The the relatability there is what's most important. And if you tell a great story that they can't see themselves in, well, congratulations. Maybe you'll sell a kid's book or something, but that's not what you're trying to do. Well, you told the the wrong story. And uh, and telling the wrong story really comes down to, uh, did you listen enough to learn enough to tell the right story? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Because when I do that um, selling with story, it's using 
seven, the seven, seven, and it's in like a fairy tale version. Once mm-hmm. upon a time, right? Once upon a time, and then one day, right? Once upon a time, everything was fine. Then one day, and then you bring them through that process. I can't tell a story if I haven't heard your story. Right. I say that um, a lot of salespeople hurry through discovery so they can get to the selling part and they forget that discovery is the selling part. Say that, say that again for the people in the back of the room. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of salespeople hurry through discovery so they can get to the selling part and they fail to realize that discovery is the selling part. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where you can stir up the most emotion. That's where the questions you ask lead to, um, People feeling connected yeah. to you, feeling connected to where you they are in their story, connected to where they need to go next in the story. And there's an art to asking those questions. And I think because we all have a number attached to our heads, because it's the end of the month, because my manager was mad at me because I missed last month, or because I fail to disappoint people. I, I, the worst thing in the world for a salesperson is to disappoint someone or let somebody down. That's the driving motivation behind, true, I think, true 90% story. of salespeople. I agree. I agree. And so what you try to do is control, we get back to this controlling versus not controlling. You try to control things that you shouldn't have control over. And in an effort to control those things, you set yourself up for mediocrity. So you you take yourself out of a position to do your very best work because you will settle for a mediocre but predictable version of your work. And it leaves results on the table for your clients. It leaves um, the emotional highs of really doing great work and fulfillment. It leaves that on the table. And we sell that. We give it away for a predictable yet toned down mediocre version of our best work. Mm -hmm. And that is where, and we get back to this, controlling what you shouldn't control allowing things to happen, which should happen, um, or and, and, and even if we don't like them. Um, this is why selling is such, it's, it's so much more complicated than people give it credit for, especially people who don't sell. And the more complex, the more, um, the more complex your sale, the longer your sales cycle, the more you're putting yourself in position to get caught up in these ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, it's terribly frustrating. I, I'm going to poke a, a little bit of a hole in what no, you just said. Not allowed yeah. to. Listen, I'm as fractional co-host of this show, <laughs> I am putting my authoritative foot down. No, oh, go ahead. Poke a hole in it. You're to, listen, you're entitled to be wrong. It's okay, G. I, I appreciate that since I'm the host of the show. That's <laughs> really very generous of you. Um <laughs> Aren't you so happy you hang out with me? Too bad we don't have more fun. It really is. I know. I know. Okay. You said, you said, you know, that, that selling is difficult. On on one hand, I agree. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I don't. Here's the hand that I don't agree that it's difficult. I think salespeople make it difficult. I think that selling is a conversation. So if we go back to discovery and get back to what we talked about, like what part of the journey can you control? I, I have control over how discovery goes. I have control over having a conversation that is authentic and real and caring and authentically curious. And I think that's half the battle, if not 75% of the battle, 
in moving the needle to closing a deal and your face is not with me on it and that's okay? No, I'm, I'm, I have two things. Uh huh. Selling is difficult. Where I, where, do you hear that siren? I, I hear, I don't know if you hear it. That's no. the semantics police. I think <laughs> salespeople, I think salespeople make selling more complicated than it needs yeah. to be. Yeah. Okay. I, I still think that um, even though it is simple, it is still often difficult. That's not an argument really worth having here, though. But what I want to say about with you having control over your own discovery, you do. But beautiful discovery comes along when you're willing to give up just enough control to let it go where it needs to go instead of right. trying to steer it somewhere. So you can have yes. a control. You can have control over the conversation and not know where it's going to go. That is a yes. special balance of professional nuance that has to be worked for in order to be acquired. And I, I, we're in agreement with that. Yeah. I think for the people listening to this, it's not so much that you're trying to control it because you can have control over the environment. You can have control over the questions you ask. But I think in order to do great discovery, you have to be curious and you cannot be curious if you're not willing to be wrong. And until you're willing to be wrong, you're you're you will never have full control over it. You're trying to steer at that point instead of just maintain the, the, yeah. the uh, I don't I'm trying not to say control again, but you, you can have authority over the situation and still not know where it's going to go. Exactly. I think that's where the difficulty comes in. And that's mm -hmm. why I said, I think it's difficult on one hand, not difficult on the other hand. If you can get past this need to control right and have a very expected like, okay, we're going to, this is what I'm going to ask. This is what I'm going to do. If you could just lean in and let go and be like, it's kind of like what we were talking before we started the podcast. Well, I don't know when we started it, but we were talking about- The editor. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> See what he does. You have to be able to, to just like, sometimes just let go and be like, okay, there's a plan that a higher power has. And mm -hmm. if I'm okay with letting go of needing to know the plan, that's the hard part. Right. In general, we want to know what the plan is. What's the plan? Where are we going? What's the outcome? And I think the beauty comes in, let go of the plan. Right. This is why I love what I do. I love having frameworks in sales. I love improv because the improv piece of the journey in discovery allows me the space to not care about the plan. What I like to say is that when you focus on a process, you get results. But when you focus on results, you get frustrated. Mm. So oh god you've got I, some good ones <laughs> i am a soundbite a minute gina yes. <laughs> i've learned that recently <laughs> i'm not sure what that's worth but i've I've learned that recently but you think about that from improv yes and let's keep the ball in the air let's just listen I don't, we don't know where this is going to go but if we do it right it'll end up somewhere funny versus let's try to make the funniest improv sketch that's ever been funnied right like it, it, that is a oh, huge how well does that go that's a huge strategy for failure. Mm -hmm. right. Seriously, I'm so like I have these these wisdom moments with you. You bring them out of me. I think about this whenever somebody would come to the theater to want to take our improv classes. The people that would show up and go, I'm so funny. You need you. I, I'm so funny and I got to take these classes and I should be one of your performers. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. You cannot perform here. What? I have all this experience. Like I'd get a lot of people that would move from New York City to South Carolina 
oh, there's an improv here. Great. I want to perform here. I performed in New York and I performed here and I performed here. And I'm like, don't want you. Right. right? Because they show up going, I'm so funny. Number one. Number two, people are like, teach me how to be funny. Funny lady. Right. I'm like, I don't teach funny. I can't teach funny. Funny right. happens. It's innate. I can pull it out of you. But when you show up going, I can be funny. You're you're gonna fail. You're those are the worst people to have on stage. It, it's such a self-centered, egotistical approach to take to improv, especially, but to a, take to a lot of things. Oh, I'm so good at sales. I'm such a good seller. Exactly. Like that doesn't that 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 is something that should remain unsaid. That is something that should be apparent. That is something, and, and let's keep this at improv now for a second. If you are trying, if you are so hell bent on being funny and you want to show everybody how funny you are, you are likely to take away from the overall project. Yeah. If you are showing up in service of the project, yeah. if you're really that funny, people are going to notice. And exactly. it's it, the same approach. And let's take this back to selling now, selling on a team. You have a role to serve. And if you're working in a team and selling is not often a team sport, it's it's often a very individual sport. But anytime you're trying to support your team, you're thinking about the team in, 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 in front of yourself. And what's good for the team is good for you. But what's good for you is not always good for the team. We see this in organizations a mm -hmm. lot too. And if you don't get your mind right around what's good for the organization is good for you, you're going to have a hard time surviving in that. Well, and, and to the contrast of that, if the organization is not thinking about what's good for the team is good for the organization, those two yes. have to work in tandem. Yes. That yeah, is, and we get back to a, trust. <laughs> yeah, that's a big, it's a big recipe for failure if it's not a two-way street. Let's kind of get back to what you can control and what you can't control. What can you control in the sales process? I'll just, I'll, I don't need to start listing things off. It's your show. What, what, what can we control in the sales process? I'll throw that to you. Uh, I mean, the, the simple things like you said, right? Like mm -hmm. reactions, like how I respond to things I control. Mm -hmm. um, the activities that I do, mm -hmm. I control. How I see things, how, my mindset, I can control. I mm -hmm. can control all of those things. That's about it. You, you can control how often and how much you prospect, mm -hmm. right? Yep. By, by priority management. Right. You can control your responses to situations that are outside of your control, Correct. right? That gets back yep. to your mindset. You can control the questions that you ask in discovery. Yeah. Um, you can control the responses you get to questions and, and things like yep. that. There are ways to measure your own responses. Um, and you can control your level of preparation. Yeah. Right? Are you prepared to take that next step, whether it's to make that first call, whether it's to show up for that discovery call, or whether it's to go into a call knowing it's time to close business? The three questions that I have every rep ask themselves before any sales call is, what do I want to happen here? What am I going to ask for? And how am I going to ask? Those three questions should take you through 30 seconds to, to yeah. remind yourself of before you go into that call. If you don't know, if you can't answer any of those questions, like, like even if you, if you can only answer two out of three, you're not ready. Yeah. If you can't yeah. answer all of them, you're not ready. So you can control your readiness to go into that sales call. But beyond that, you know what you can't control? When you're working with a tier three automotive supplier 
selling to the big three in Metro Detroit and GM, Ford and Chrysler all decide to stop making sedans after the next model run. You know what? Like that squashed a deal for me. Okay. I get it. Now, all of a sudden, the supplier I was with had different issues on it, and none of them had to do with whether or not I was qualified for the gig. None of them right, had anything right, to do with right. whether or not their team needed training. It was just no longer a priority. What are you going to do about that? Well, hopefully, you have enough pipeline to back that up, right? You you can't control it when your decision maker has a personal family issue that they have to attend to and can no longer sign your contract on the 31st for the end of the quarter. Did you do anything wrong? No. You probably did a lot of things right, but now that deal's getting delayed. Yeah. And it's easy to say that the pipe cures all ails, and it, it does, but why does the pipe cure all ails? Even when the sure things are going to happen, there are always some things within your control, I'm sorry, outside of your control that can come up and disrupt the timing yeah. of when those sure things are sure things. And it's easy to say that you can just hedge with volume, but that kind of volume is often very difficult to come to 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 build and, and come along. So um, I think it's easy to take those things that we can control for granted until you're put in a position where a bunch of things outside of your control, I don't know, COVID happen, and then you're stuck. And then all of a sudden, you were really, what you realize is that you're relying on things outside of your control to go well because you only did so many things within your control to guarantee success. Yeah, you didn't do enough things within your control to guarantee success. That's... And, yeah, and, and you never have any guarantee. Like, of course you... Who would have yeah, thought yeah. COVID, right? Like, there's no reason to believe that you weren't going to succeed except March 13th, 2020, when... Or it was actually the 16th. It was the day here in Michigan, everything kind of shut down. Yeah. My last flight was March 13th that year. Yeah. And it was like... Okay, Friday, March 13th, actually. And it was like, okay, well, if you had any deals that you needed to close in person, guess what? Now, why would you have suspected that? And I also think it's important to recognize too, you have to be okay with something happening that's outside of your control, wrecking things. Like the other thing is, there's only so much insurance you can give yourself. Yeah. You can only, you can't look around every corner you can't sit with your back to every, you know, avoid sitting with your back to every door. You, you can't, there's, there are only so many insurance policies you can give yourself. You have to know when enough is. And that's another thing. And that's another episode, really. I mean, when is, when is it enough? Okay. Well, we'll schedule that one. Will you remember? Cause I'll forget. I think it's when, already on the calendar. When <laughs> is, okay, good. But you got to remember the topic. Mm-hmm. When, when is enough? Um, Gina, Gina, remind me. For I'll remind recording. you. Yeah, yeah okay. I'll remind you. Yeah. <laughs> when is enough? Okay, listeners, can you remind us? Yeah, Somebody right. remind us that that's what we're going to talk about next. Um, going back to the whole control, the uh, I think about the whole COVID situation, right? Yeah. And I think about if I would have only. I mean, I go back and Monday morning quarterback it because. Mm-hmm. Right. We all were going through that. My theater shut down March 7th and the date sticks in my head and I don't know why, but it does. I don't um, know why. I, I mean, I, I know I, why. Because <laughs> it was freaking COVID. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I, I don't know when everything totally shut down, but we shut down March 7th because nobody would come out to the theater. Nobody would come to a show. And I made the decision. I'm like, all right. So March 7th was our last show. So we only had weekends. So we didn't get 
And that's so weird. The date sticks in our head, right? Saturday, March 7th, 2020. Mm-hmm. You remember Friday, March 13th, 2020. Like that Friday, March 13th, we had to cancel the show. That was the yeah. next show scheduled that got canceled. And then for six months, we sat in limbo. And so that goes to the wayside. But then in my training, sales training business, all of my clients were at hotels. Yeah, hotels. I was. Where are those? Yeah, I was done. I mean, at hotels and hospitality. Right. And Mm -hmm. a lot of my work was keynotes, being on the road. A couple hundred people in a hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so either I had clients that were in the hospitality space that no longer had people coming to their space, or I was working with associations speaking in hotels. Mm -hmm. So I was done. And, And I sat there and I'm like, what? What could I have done differently? I mean, I could have diversified, but I don't think it would have mattered. No. In that situation. Yeah. You had done everything you needed to do. And in that case, your entire industry was disrupted. Our entire industry was disrupted in the way you did it. And some of those um, pivoted to virtual. Some of those took rain checks. Yeah. And I mean, there were a lot of those. And I've, I've talked to people who are like, just last year, they're like, finally delivered my last COVID keynote. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, with the closing and opening and, and restrictions yeah. and things like that. Um, I think here's something. This is something I struggle with. So I want to bring it up. I think we're still dealing with fallout that we can't control. Mm-hmm. And we think that we should be able to control it by now. And we yeah. can't. Yeah. And there are still, um, what is it that I want to say? We're, we're still dealing with repercussions. And we're dealing with rebounds of rebounds and backlashes to backlashes. And the the economic situation we're in right now is because of the extreme measures that were taken and and the extreme responses that were taken to this thing that none of us could plan for. And so the ripples are still there. I I think they're a little less significant than they were a year ago than they were the year before that. But there are still ripples. And I think people have been in such a, a rush to... To tell us that we're getting over this, people talk about back during the pandemic, hey, folks, it's still a pandemic, right? Technically speaking, we're still Mm -hmm. in it as we speak. Mm -hmm. But people think about it as in terms of something that's in the past. Just because we've been able to cope with it and return to something approximate to normal in our lives, in our lives, it doesn't mean that it's over with yet, which means we still have things that we're dealing with that we're denying that we're dealing with. And I think we're denying them because we don't have control over them, which means that we feel like we should have control over them, which is putting yourself in that situation where, well, I I guess when I really think about it, I'm trying to control something I have no control over. That's where anxiety comes from. That's where stress comes from. Yeah. And that's what so many people are dealing with right now. And they're leaving their jobs. They're quiet quitting their jobs. They're all- They're being quiet fired. There's quiet quitting, quiet firing, great resignation. Um, I also think I also think that people think differently today after everything that's happened. There are some people that are not trying to control it all because they've learned, you know what? I can't control these things. Life is too short. I'm going to make some decisions to live my life differently, design my life differently. Um, I've had enough bad things happen to me in my life before COVID that just the combination of that and the whole yes and mindset. I think has helped me 
lean in and go, all right. What's next? How do I pivot? You talked about the obstacle is the way. I don't know if I've ever mentioned um, on my shelf here. The, yeah, a beautiful constraint, a beautiful constraint. I don't know if I've mentioned that book to you, that that's another really powerful book. Of course, there's an entire section in there on improv. So, of course, I love it and I'm biased. Mm -hmm. But it talks about how do we take a constraint and we find the beauty in it and we innovate from that constraint. If more people could do that, Mm -hmm. especially salespeople. All right. Mm -hmm. What's the constraint here? Take the biggest obstacle. One of the exercises that I do, I can use this in, I can use it in sales. I can use it in leadership. I use it in in a variety of ways. I had to learn how to do all of this virtually, by the way, but when I would do it in person, it was super fun because I'm like, all right, everybody write down a problem on an index card. And I had branded cards that I would give them of like, and it would say, what's, what's your problem? And they would have to write down like the problem they want to solve. Um, or I would say, put your objections on there. Like, what are the most common objections you're hearing? Now, what was cool about that is I could collect all of those, then go back to leadership and be like, here's the perceived problems and objections of your team. Yeah. Which was a really cool thing to do as a side note. <laughs> but I would have them fill those cards out. Like you could think your specific, business specific, your job specific or personal or random world peace, you want to solve that problem. Like whatever you want, I just want you to put a problem on there. And I want you to think really big, like a problem that actually can't be solved. Mm-hmm. I want you to really think about living on Mars. Like that's not doable at right. this moment in time, right? Sure. Just think, just write that down. So I have them write it down. And then, I know I'm giving away my my free ideas here. Then I collect their problems. Isn't that what a podcast is exactly Isn't that what a podcast it's free is. education. The question I, is whether or not anybody wants it. That, that, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I collect their. So I have them fill out the cards, and I go, "Okay, I'm taking your problems away from you, right?" And they get a good laugh. I take their problems away. I collect all the problems. I shuffle the problems. I redistribute the problems, and they're all anonymous. Like their names aren't yeah. on them, right? Mm-hmm. So I redistribute the problems, and then I put them in groups. And I'm like, all right, together collectively as a group. So I'm teaching them to collaborate and to work as a team. Like you said earlier, like you have to be able to work as a team. I think that was one of the biggest things I learned in COVID. I don't do well solo. Mm. I like being part of a team. I don't do this podcast by myself. I like having team energy and spirit. I think maybe that's why I waited a long time to get into sales because it can be a little cutthroat. I want to be part of a team. Like, yeah, I it doesn't have that. to be cutthroat, though. You it know doesn't. I mean? It doesn't have to be. Yeah. Again, but that's kind of a culture thing too. Do you? Are you in that culture? That's a whole other tangent. Yep. Put it down for another topic. So, <laughs> so I collect all the problems. I redistribute all the problems, and um, and then I go okay together as a group. Choose a problem to solve. So now they have to work together of like mm-hmm. deciding which problem should be solved, and it's fascinating because they will really contemplate like what will be easier to solve. Like they're trying to like pick the easiest thing to solve. That's number one. And I go, but, but you're not solving the problem. I just want you to choose a problem. And they have no idea whose problem it is, Mm -hmm. but you'll see that there's a lot of the same problems that come up in an organization. So that's always interesting. I've had this happen where I divided them into five groups, four out of five chose the same exact problem. 
but nobody knew who wrote what, right? So mm-hmm. they have to just choose. And then they start trying to solve it. I'm like, I didn't tell you to solve it. I said, just choose a problem to solve. Right? It's like how, think about how we just jump to like, let me, let me do this. Like, right. no, just choose it. Don't do anything with it because there are other tools here for this. Don't do another thing. Mm-hmm. Then I come back around and I distribute on a different set of cards the names of objects, right? Each card has an object on it. Apple, hairbrush, book. I'm looking around my office. Light, stuffed animal, Kleenex box, right? Each card, and I have them pre-printed. I actually turned it into a card game that I never got around to printing because of COVID. So I've got all the, the objects on there. And then I I put like five or six objects in each group. I go, okay. Now, I tried this differently the last time I did this last month. Before I divided, gave them cards, objects, I said, all right, you chose the problem, great, now solve it. Mm-hmm. So they try to solve it, and then they all have to present. Like, here's how we solve the problem, right? Everybody pr- makes their presentations, real traditional solutions to problems. I distribute those cards with objects. I'm like, take that problem that you just solved and solve it again with one of these objects. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? It's like we got a banana and a hairbrush and a cup of coffee. You want us to do what? I'm like, I want you to solve the problem with at least one of your objects. And I always say at least. And they just sit there. They're stuck. Mm-hmm. Because they have been, they function, we all function with this is how we do it. This is yeah, the way. I love that. And it, there's, it's, this is something I work on routinely with my clients. We know we have a problem that with our outreach and our prospecting efforts with opportunity creation, the data is out there. Sales reps need to reach out longer, more often, and with more value, right? Longer and more often. Those are the, the primary operatives here because we know that most sales reps give up after three attempts, which means that your prospects are just going to wait you out. We know that the average sale isn't made or the average contact isn't made until about the ninth attempt. And that's an average. Um, we know that most salespeople give up too soon and they're afraid to call more often, right? So there's data out there that says that, particularly in tech, if you reach out 15 times over a 30 to 45 day period, you're going to have the highest success. This data is out there. It's published. People look at that and they're like, wait, every other day? I can't do that. And it's like, why? Well, I'll be a pest. I don't want to be a pest. I don't want to wreck it. I don't want to let somebody down. And it's like, okay, well, hold on. The data says, or the data say, it depends on where you grew up, I guess. You need to reach out more often than you are. You need to reach out longer than you do, but you're uncomfortable doing that. Well, we know both to be true. What's going to give first? Are we going to believe in what we do? Are we going to believe in our outreach? Are we going to believe in our messaging? Are we going to believe in our product? Are we going to feel obligated enough to do the uncomfortable thing? Or are we going to plan to fail every time we pick a new prospect because we're not willing to do what the research says is what needs to be done? Right. You pick. You either get uncomfortable or 
you plan to fail and your entire day and your entire prospecting mission is about hoping to get lucky. Here is the problem in front of us. We don't get to leave the room until we figure it out. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay. So to, to use the analogy of what you're talking about with a, an apple and a hair dryer, right? And a bottle of water. It's which of these tools that we're already using needs to be modified Yes. In order to get the desired result. Yes. And I don't care. And and this is the beauty of it. I just get to come in and throw little hand grenades and watch them explode <laughs> and watch people. But it's like, I don't care which one. I'm not here to tell you which one to modify. I'm here to help you once you make a decision that is right for you. And I'm here to guide and facilitate that process of you making your tools better in order yeah. to accomplish the end. And what's interesting is how heated some of those discussions get and how passionate, we're getting back to emotion here again, how how passionate people are about why they will do or won't do something, their inner conflict that comes out. People get very uncomfortable and then they have to reconcile why they're so uncomfortable and they have to do it in front of their peers. And it's the most delightful kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. And then when people finally get over that and they start to think a little more clearly. They start to go into problem-solving mode once their emotional high has come down from just being frustrated or pissed off at me or whatever it is. And then something clicks and they see it and they're like, oh, I get it. Wait, but if I did this, uh uh-huh. And then if I did this, uh uh-huh. And then if I did this and I'm like, there you go. And then five minutes later, they're like, oh my God, this is so simple. It's been right in front of me the entire time. I'm like, yes. But you were too emotionally stuck with yeah. the way you've been doing it, getting the results that you're not happy with. But until you focused on what you could do within the constraints that were laid out, yeah. now we're understanding that what we can control has much more of an impact on those things that we can't control anymore yeah. or couldn't ever control. But we're starting to take back some of that influence because- no, oh, I can do this. Okay. And and Covey said this, there are the things that you can control and there are the things that you can't. There's a circle of control. There's the circle of influence. And the more you focus on what you can control, the more things you will find you have control over. And it's paradoxical in nature, but when you start small, that's why they say successful people, they just, they make their bed every day. The first step is just, just make your bed. Yeah. You can control that. Make yeah. your bed. And once you feel like you have that base, you'll start to look for other things that you can do that impact your environment. That environment manifests and, and creates other possibilities. Like it's so odd how that stuff seems so far removed. And I didn't become a fractional co host of the <laughs> Women in Your Mother Warned You About podcast to tell you to make your bed. But <laughs> when you think about the constraints of your day and when you have a clear boundary between what you know you have control over and what you have to let go of, magic happens yeah. in, in a very linear way, actually. It's not even that magical when you, th- when you start to experience it, but it's just a tough concept to wrap your brain around. Um, I, I like to call it, um, going back a, a couple sentences, I like to call it opening the permission box. Like when you can open the permission box for somebody, mm-hmm. be- and I've, I've talked about this in Creative Selling, and... Um, have all the research that I've done on creativity and the fact that we're innately creative 
Um, we're born creative geniuses and we lose it. We lose it over time from the time of age five until adulthood. We go from 98% creative genius to 2% creative genius. It gets beaten out of us in that time period. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. And, and that's part of the problem is that, um, it's been beaten out of us to be creative and curious. And it's like, do it like this, do it like this. So of course we're wired then to like, I'm going to do it like this. I'm, this is the way I'm going to do it. It's the only way I know how to do it. I can't think any outside of the box. No one's given me the permission. I've laughed every time I've had leaders say to me, can you teach my employees how to be empowered or to take initiative? I'm like, first you have to empower them or... I don't, Are it's, you promoting me? Are you giving me a business yeah. card and a salary right now? Because <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, I, okay, this is a leadership problem. This is not right. That's part one. Part two, think about so many salespeople are given zero training, right? They're thrown in. That's why you, people like you and I exist. But you think about all the people that have been given zero sales training. I don't know. Maybe you and I need to come up with a course about this of like, hey, don't feel like you're interrupting. Don't feel like a pest. This is your job. This is what you do. I was just talking about this in a class today. I'm like, so gatekeepers have their jobs. I was I watched somebody laugh during this training at me. I'm like, their job is to keep the gate. And the guy bust out laughing. I'm like, their job is they stand at the gate and they they stand they keep it. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. They're just doing their job. Your job is to get the gatekeeper to to open the gate. Right. It was like it was like a mind blowing concept for some reason. Yeah. No one's taught that. And I I don't think a lot of salespeople are are told, hey, be a pest. The stats show that being a pest closes deals. If you walked into a sales job with that information, then maybe that that's the framework you would follow. I don't mean we need to create the be a pest framework. I don't know. But see, the thing is. People don't want to be pests. So telling them that being a pest is what's closest deal says, see, that's why I told you I could never be in sales. The reason that. Then don't that be in sales. Well, understand, but. And. Being a pest. Oh, sorry. Thank you. And <laughs> being a pest was not what makes sales. Being persistent. Right. Is what makes sales. Well, I mean, part and of it is teaching, change the, the framework. on. The- that's goes. the semantic police. There it goes. Yeah. Right. There it is. Okay. And that's the difference. So it's getting people to wrap their brain around the idea that the frequency that you reach out and the duration with which you reach out doesn't have anything to do with being a pest. A lack of value and belief in your messaging is what makes you feel like a pest. And oh, by the way, you feel like a pest before your prospect does. Your fear of feeling like a pest is what makes you the pest. Right. And it's interesting. It's like, hey, your first three emails or voicemails or contacts, however you want to define them. um, Yeah, they didn't happen. As far as your prospect is concerned, they didn't happen. You are not on their radar. Those are throwaways. So save those messages because you can use them again a lot more quickly than you think. Four, five and six. It's like, have I seen, wait, I've seen this name. I've heard this voice before. Maybe whatever. Haven't they gone away by now? Seven, eight. It's like, oh yeah, 
okay, I definitely have heard from this person before. And then I do a quick search through my email box. Like, where have I heard from this person before? And I see a bunch of emails that have really provocative questions that relate to problems I believe I'm having or that at least they believe I'm having. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I'm like, huh, this person is persistent. They've got me surrounded. They've left me voicemail messages. They've left me LinkedIn messages. They've left me emails. Um, okay. And if I look into this, like, oh, it's actually pretty pithy stuff. Huh. And then when the 10th email comes along, it's like, yeah, you know what? I've kept you at bay for long enough. The, you're clearly not going away. And actually you do have something worth talking about. Let's, let's talk. I'm going to respond. But it takes 11 attempts to get to that point. Right. That's the reality of it. And everybody you talk to, particularly in leadership positions, they're like, okay, you, you get an email from a sales rep. You're like, okay. And then it happens a second time. You're like, bet I don't get a third one. Then you get the third one. You're like, okay, well, that's clearly it. No one ever reaches out four times. The first three are just gone. You walk them through that and they're like, oh, damn, you're right. So what are we teaching your people to do? To fall in line with everybody else? No, we know these things to be true, yeah. yet we don't act on them. What are we doing? I'll step uh, off yeah. my soapbox. Co-host only gets me so many words per minute. <laughs> Fractional I think, co-host gets me I think, uh, Yeah, I think you used them. I think you've used them all because um, we're at time for the yeah, day. You, the, the YouTube, the, the rest of the YouTube version is just going to be me mouthing words, but I've been <laughs> muted, so I'm not allowed to say it. We talked about this. Are you still working with yeah. Ian? Yeah, okay, um, so. Yeah. Nian maybe and I have a great relationship, but he doesn't produce my podcast anymore. That's right. Uh, maybe he'll, um, well, be nice to him so he doesn't mute you. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> maybe he'll throw in a siren or two into this episode. Oh, would that be glorious? Yeah, the semantic siren. That would be awesome. Um, another fun-filled hour with Jeff Bajoric here on The Women Your Mother Warned You About. Thanks for being here, my fractional co-host. And I expect to see your LinkedIn profile <laughs> updated. Tune in tomorrow. It'll timestamp the recording of this episode. So apologize for that. I don't know how far in advance you're recording this, but um, it's happening tomorrow. Okay. I'll be looking for it. I will be. I'll tag looking. you in the post. Yeah. I'll be. Uh, please do. Please do. Um, I got to run now. I got to go rehearse for a show I'm in. Yeah. Woo! Oh, yeah, Yay. that's right. And and I've got to I've got to get to a meeting myself this evening. So um, okay. thanks for having me. Um, I hope this was succinct enough to get people to think a little bit differently. I hope so, and too. I want um, I just my goal is for anybody who's still listening right now to <laughs> think about the things they can control. Think about the things that they can't and think about the things that they may have some confusion about. And um, that's that's my provocation for the end. And my uh, provocation for the end is think about um, the obstacle is the way and the constraint is beautiful. Mm. Think about how can you think outside of the proverbial box? Oh, think outside of the permission box. That's what I'm going to say. There you go. There we go. All right. Thanks, Warners, for listening to this episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy. Check out salesgravy.university and you can up-level with so many different courses that can help you with many of the things we talked about today. And you can check out Jeff Bajoric. Where can they check you out, Jeff? Um, they can go to, well, I mean, if they're listening to the podcast right now, go and check out the Rethink the Way You Sell podcast. Um, or you can go to RethinkTheWayYouSell.com. That's the best place to interact with my content. It's in a community platform where you can comment on stuff. You can interact with other people. You can send messages to me. That's like an interactive version of my website. It's probably the best place. Or awesome. LinkedIn where you can 
like my post that I'm now fractional co-host of Women, (laughs) Your Mother Warned You About podcast. So fantastic. All right. We're out of here. See you next time.